0: All right, well, good morning. morning, We're going to go ahead and and get started here with our um, continuing in our New Testament overview. We're starting a little late, but that's okay. We might finish early still because I have fewer notes on this book than I have ever had. Um, We're looking at Philemon this morning. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, the book of Philemon. And uh, let's go ahead and ask God's blessing on our study together this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning, um, just so grateful and thankful to um, have this, this opportunity um, together to look into your word, um, to see their, what instruction you have for us. Um, how you desire to teach us that we might be brought into conformity with the image of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we might see him and his glory and his beauty um, on display in your word um, as, we, as we look together at this, this letter of Paul to Philemon. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week, um, Stephen led us through an overview on the book of Colossians. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Philemon, which is a letter that was actually written at the same time, from the same location, uh, by Paul, uh, as this letter that he wrote to uh, the believers at Colossae, and it was delivered to the same church, but addressed to an individual in this church, uh, a prominent member... Uh, whose home the church met in, named Philemon. So this is one of four prison epistles, prison letters written by Paul, and it's the only one of the four uh, that is addressed to an individual. And you can kind of see the content of this letter previewed in the book of Colossians Near the end, um, in Paul's final greetings, you read this. He says, I'm sending this letter to you by the hand of of Tychicus, a man, a faithful fellow servant of Paul and supporter of him in his imprisonment. Um, And Paul adds this little uh, detail. He says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Now, at first glance, this might to us seem like uh, just a side note, but to the church at Colossae, this was a bombshell revelation. This would have been epic. And reason being, see, according to Roman law, Onesimus was guilty of what their society would consider one of the worst kinds of crimes. Onesimus was a runaway slave. I think um, it's worth mentioning, I think we can recognize that in today's cultural context, the subject of slavery is a sensitive one. Um, And thankfully, um, our pastor, JD, um, preached a message on this subject, the supremacy of Christ over slaves and masters, um, that if you have more questions about the biblical approach to um, slavery. Um, I would refer you to that because he explained it very, very well and uh, in much greater de- detail than I will be able to. But um, it is a subject that there are there are skeptics out there who will take issue with the biblical author's approach to slavery. Um, it is true that the Bible does not overtly condemn slavery. However, Christianity planted the seed that would eventually grow into the belief that all men are created equal. It was the spread of the gospel and the transforming effect of Christian principles, of biblical principles upon the entire world that would eventually overthrow the institution of slavery. However, in this first century Roman context, it was a reality of day-to-day life. In fact, slaves made up roughly 30% of the population in the Roman Empire at this time. It was a society built upon forced labor, an economy that was driven by it and sustained by it. So for a slave to run away from his or her master, that would be viewed as a threat to the Roman way of life. It was the unpardonable civic sin. And the historical record has lots and lots of information on how this issue was dealt with and because it was so prevalent and so important to the Roman authorities that it would be um, uh, crushed. So Onesimus had done just this. We're not told what it was that caused him to abscond with his master's money and flee to Rome, but you can bet that every waking moment afterward, he would have lived in absolute terror. Of being caught. See, the Roman government spared no effort or expense to capture and to make an example out of runaway slaves. Um, History tells us that entire military divisions would patrol the cities and the highways in search of runaways. Um, There were even wanted posters. They would be plastered all over the cities with an artist's likeness of a slave who had run away from their master. Roman historian Epictetus writes that to be a runaway was to live in a constant state of fear and misery. This was Onesimus' life for a time. We know that he fled to Rome after, after leaving Philemon and um, undoubtedly, he hoped to there blend in with this teeming mass of slaves in the city and, and get lost in the crowd, a fugitive with no home and with no hope. But God had other plans for Onesimus. And we can only guess at how this must have happened, but it's amazing how in God's sovereignty, Out of the five million people living in the city of Rome, at this time, Onesimus found Paul, even while under house arrest. And apparently, Paul and the other believers who were around him at this time gave shelter to Onesimus and provided for him, um, even allowing him perhaps to uh, serve Paul as his personal attendant and, and thereby kind of evade, uh, capture, and being turned over to the authorities. This was all at very great personal risk to Paul and to his associates because, you see, um, in this culture, in this context, to harbor a runaway, to fail to turn them in, was punishable by flogging or even crucifixion. You would be punished as that offender, for not turning them in. And yet Paul and these other believers took care of Onesimus. Over time, he did come to faith in Christ. And he served and ministered to Paul in his imprisonment. And eventually Paul would counsel him to return to his master Philemon and make things right. Now this was a very, very difficult thing for Onesimus and for Paul to face. Because under normal circumstances, all recovered runaways would face severe punishment. See, the Roman authorities, the local governments, sought to make an example of every runaway who was recovered or captured. And they were often fitted with a a permanent iron collar around their neck embossed with the words, I'm a runaway, return me to my master, which they would wear for the rest of their life. They were also often either branded or tattooed in large letters across the forehead that would read, Fugitive, so that for the rest of their life, they would be a social pariah. A slave with these marks could legally never gain their full freedom. It's actually really interesting. In the, in the Greek language, the name for these, for these identifying marks is stigma, um, which, from which we get our word stigma. <laughs> um, but this is what Onesimus could potentially have faced in returning to Colossae dependent upon how his master responded in receiving him. It would certainly have been Philemon's right to bring against Onesimus the full weight of Roman authority and law. So as we read this letter, I hope that we can bear in mind this picture of what the world said about Onesimus and what he deserved. And I want us to contrast that with what Paul says about Onesimus and how he is to be received into the church. And then in this, see the difference that the gospel makes. So this is why Paul wrote the book of Philemon to encourage Philemon Onesimus' master to treat him not according to his legal rights or, to, or Philemon's personal feelings, but according to the demands of the gospel. So let's uh, look at verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus... And Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. And Appiah, our sister. And Archippus, our fellow soldier. And the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, So he mentions Appiah and Archippus. Um, This is Philemon's wife and his son, And notice the the terms that he uses to to speak about them. He says, to um, our fellow worker and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. So already in this this greeting, we see Paul emphasizing the bond of unity that is shared between he and Philemon and his family um, through the gospel, in the gospel. And this unity will be the basis for Paul's appeal on behalf of Onesimus. And he says, and the church in your house. So it was Paul's intention that this personal letter also be shared with the congregation. Why would that be? Um, in part, I think it was because Paul was building into this some accountability for Philemon. But I think even more so, Paul knew that there was a truth in his instructions to Philemon that he wanted the whole church to learn from. And it is a truth that we must learn as well. And that is how the gospel should affect our treatment of those who wrong us, especially those in the faith, and what gospel-focused forgiveness truly looks like. So let's look at verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, of which now Onesimus is one. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So in this opening greeting, Paul acknowledges and commends Onesimus, I mean Philemon, sorry, for his engagement in the work of the ministry, for the love that he shows to the saints. And um, in verse 6, Paul shares with him his prayer for Philemon. He says, Philemon, here's what I'm praying for you. And uh, these verses, verse uh, 6 and 7, bear a little closer examination of the original text because they can be kind of um, obtuse. Um, He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. Um, So this idea of sharing of your faith, Paul's not speaking here of faith that is shared in the evangelistic sense but rather of a shared faith among fellow believers. Other scriptures or other translations render this verse as fellowship of the faith or as a communion of the faith. And the Greek word uh, koinonia here that is translated as sharing in the ESV is intended to communicate the sharing of all life among fellow believers. Um, This truth that we as the body of Christ belong to one another. Paul says that it may be effective. So the word used here um, that is translated effective is the Greek word energes, from which we get our word energy. And in this this context, it means uh, to be active or powerful. So Paul says, Philemon, my prayer for you is that your fellowship And communion with the body and all the saints, including Onesimus, would be active. That it would be energized and powerful through loving action. And the effect of this will be a deeper experiential knowledge of the truth, of the gospel. So let's look at verse 7. in my imprisonment. He refers to Onesimus, um, this outcast, this homeless, lost individual, as his child. Paul became Onesimus' child in the faith by leading him to Christ. Let's look at verse 11. <clears throat> Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed. Useful to you and to me. Um, it's interesting, in, this, in the original language, you can see Paul's sense of humor perhaps coming through a little bit. This is a play on words. Um, because Onesimus' name literally means useful. And so in the original language, verse 11 reads like this. Useful, who was formerly useless, is now actually useful. This is Paul's own way of saying, Onesimus is a new man. He's been transformed by the gospel. Let's look at verse 12. He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. This is truly beautiful to see Paul's heart of love for this man. Someone whom the world would have written off as nothing, as property, as damaged goods, And yet, because of the gospel, Paul can say, he is my son. My very heart goes with him. Something I want us to to recognize here and notice is that, very evident in verse 12, but also throughout the entire book, we can see how closely Paul's heart towards Onesimus emulates the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus... Loves the unlovely. He saves the outcasts, the lost and the poor and the needy. And Paul is showing, is picturing that love. Let's look at verse 13. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So, if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. So in verse 17, we have the only actual directive that Paul gives to Philemon. This is the only clear instruction that he shares. And it is a single, simple command, but with tremendous implications. Paul says, Philemon, this man who has defrauded you, who has wronged you. This is how I want you to respond to him. So all of the care and honor and reverence that you would show to me as your close friend and spiritual mentor, that is how I want you to treat him. Paul isn't saying here, okay, I want you guys to bury the hatchet. We're going to let bygones be bygones. Let's just sweep this thing under the rug and move on. No, He is teaching a radical forgiveness that is unlike anything the world knows or understands. Paul says, receive him as you would receive me. In other words, Philemon, I want you to take my credit and add it to Onesimus' account. I want you to base your treatment of him not on his merits, but on mine. Paul goes even further. Let's look at verse 18. He says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So not only is Paul saying here, Philemon, you are to give my credit to Onesimus, but I want you to transfer his debts to me. Is this sounding familiar at all? It really should because this is the language of imputation, And it is truly amazing in this book, in this one-chapter book, how vividly Paul is picturing for us the Lord Jesus Christ in his advocacy for Onesimus. So let's look at um, verses 19 through 22. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Um, some Bible scholars look at this and they, they read into that phrase. I think it's pretty clear that perhaps Paul is even hinting that it is his desire for Philemon to give Onesimus his freedom. He says, I know that you will do even more then I say, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Um, in that verse, verse 22, you see um, Paul's confidence in the power of prayer. He says, make a room ready for me. I'm, I'm in prison now, but I know, I, I believe that, that God is going to um, allow me to, to visit you. Um, But also, I think, you can see Paul applying some some gentle pressure here. It's like he's saying, Philemon, uh, this is how I want you to respond in this situation. And just so you know, I will be coming for a visit. So I will be able to verify that you have followed through on this. Um, And then let's look at the final greeting in verses 23 through 25. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I think that what Paul um, prays for Philemon, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with his spirit, is certainly true for Paul. Um, you can see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ shining out of his spirit and of his heart. Um, and he's, he's sharing that. He's saying the grace of Jesus Christ um, compels me and it should compel you to receive this one who has wronged you as a brother. He is one of you. Throughout this letter, we see Paul um, in his... Um, championing of Onesimus we see him as an advocate as an intercessor and even as a a substitute in a sense for Onesimus and I think in, in this we should recognize a clear picture of Christ and the difference that the gospel makes. The gospel permeates this letter and it is the gospel God's free and full forgiveness of our sin through Jesus' death on the cross that teaches us how we are to forgive. Freely. Not forcing the person who has wronged us to wear their guilt, but fully releasing them from it. Letting go the debt and showing love. Because that is what God, through the Lord Jesus, has done for us. All right, well, you're dismissed.